Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 209, Best Female Characterizations in Gaming. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, as you know, and as all our friends out there know, this is the podcast specifically, absolutely positively about board games. Only us. We're the only one. And we love all you other guys, but just saying, it's only about the cardboard here. So Absolutely. Nothing else but the cardboard. So, Anthony, talking about this wonderful, wonderful cardboard, because it's all about the cardboard, we wanted to talk about giving away even more of this wondrous cardboard. So, thankfully, our Patreon backers has put us in a position to actually give away more of this cardboard. So, we had our first contest went extremely well and we have this week's contest so why don't you fill us in yeah yeah last week uh john was our first winner in our inaugural patreon weekly contest um thanks again to game surplus for helping us out with that john picked root and that game is en route (laughs) to his house yeah (laughs) he should be getting that yesterday today sometime this week and so again as we said this is every single week we're going to be doing this all right this week's winner is Jeremy. Jeremy has been a backer at the producer for the last 10 months. And he's going to be able to pick from a whole bunch of different games. We'll shoot him an email after we record this. But games like Wildlands, Rayholt, Raccoon Tycoon, Root, as I mentioned earlier, Space Core, um, Forense, Fleet Dice Game, 18 Lilliput, lots and lots of cool stuff. So he's going to get a chance to pick one of those. It's going to get shipped straight to him. And uh, next week, we'll have yet another one. So if you are not yet a backer, on the Patreon, um, and you are interested in the contest, check it out. Uh, At the producer level or higher, you are automatically entered, as well as getting access to all of our bonus episodes. We have a couple of those every month, as well as access to our Slack group. You can make suggestions for our upcoming episodes. We're actually working on a couple of new backer levels. Some ideas were floating around in terms of what those will include. So lots and lots of cool stuff. Obviously, the centerpiece here is free games, because it's all about the free games. As, as Chris said, all about the cardboard. And so congratulations to uh, this week's winner. Yeah, thank you guys all so much. And we're hoping to do more and more. So as more Patreon back the podcast, we hope to do bigger and better games. We obviously like to do a giveaway every week for people who can't be Patreon backers. And I haven't cleared this with Anthony yet, but since it's all about the cardboard, maybe one day, just maybe off in the far, far future, if we did get enough, I would even like to see us do this as a daily podcast, Anthony. What do you think? Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Probably board games. It'd be the same ones every day. But <laughs> So there's so much good board gaming goodness going out there. Thank you so much. Please hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. We got a guild on Board Game Geek. We're on YouTube. Basically, everywhere you can find us, please do. And especially, no matter what you can do, please let other people know about the podcast. That's the best way to spread board gaming goodness. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with BGA. 
let's get on to the rest of the episode talking about more cardboard. What's our question of the week? Well, since we're talking about cardboard, it's really what their favorite video game was. <laughs> That feels and plays like a board game. So cardboard adjacent, right? Cardboard adjacent. For me, I mean, I'm just, I'll spill mine right away because a couple of people mentioned it. Civilization, that's been one of my favorite games since I was like nine years old. But there are lots of other ones that people mentioned. So I wanted to share some of those. Drew mentioned Fire Emblem as well as Final Fantasy Tactics. So a lot of turn-based RPGs in here. A few people mentioned Final Fantasy Tactics, which is, I never actually played the original even though I had a PlayStation and loved Final Fantasy, but I did play the Game Boy Advance version for hundreds of hours. So <laughs> I understand where people are coming from. Uh, Chris mentioned a few games. He mentioned For the King, Tharsis. He mentioned, uh, he did mention some of the turn-based tactics games as well, like XCOM and Into the Breach, both of which are amazing, but does point out that board games don't really handle this genre very well. If you're talking about like one-to-ones, which I would agree with. The real-time kind of turn-based stuff doesn't generally work. Age of Empires 2 is another one. Stellaris. Stellaris is fantastic. It's basically, as John says, it's basically Eclipse as a video game. Cody also mentions XCOM. Uh, Nico mentions Clash of Clans, which is a mobile game, which is probably more successful than all of the rest of these combined in terms of money. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots and lots of good stuff. Uh, like I said, Civilization for me. Sim City was another one I played. Ad nauseum, I play uh, City Skyline now uh, is kind of the current version of that that gets gets more play than anything else. What about you? I know you play a lot of video games. I play a huge number of video games, and it's kind of hard to pick my favorite, but currently the one that's hitting my table is the brand new game from Level 99 Games. This is Exceed, the Street Fighter version, and especially the Chun-Li box. Uh, I'm a big way back fan of Chun-Li and played that all the time back in the arcade when there was arcades, so to speak. And I really like the Exceed system because it's not just Street Fighter, but they have a huge number of their own playable characters. And it's basically a one-on-one fight. And the artwork is straight off from the game. And it's really great artwork. And the combos is really a lot of fun. I guess if I did have a Grail game, one game that's still out there and way out of my price range, the StarCraft board game and the Brute expansion. I'm a big RTS fan as well. And those games really don't get to the table so much because they are typically so expensive, so rare that you just never see them out. But one day I hope to get that game to the table because I'm playing a lot of that online. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for the question of the week. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So what do you have for us? All right. So this is a bunch of games got kind of announced or teased or whatever you want to call it at uh, the recent German game fair. And one of them that I was particularly interested in is New Dale. The New Dale is a new game from Alexander Pfister that takes place in the Oh My Goods quote unquote universe. Um, And I say, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, because Oh My Goods is a fairly basic, themeless card game about putting out these different um, shops or whatever they are. And you have workers and they operate them and you generate things. And, you know, it's it's a tableau builder and it's pretty short and doesn't do a ton. Like, it's not a great game. It's a good game. It's not a great game. But it does have two expansions that add story modes, which are fantastic and a whole lot of fun and super hard to find. So (laughs) those are the best way to play the game. They improve it so many times over. And I've played this game a lot since picking those up. Newdale is the board game version of all that. So it takes the kind of basic idea 
of, oh my goods, the core mechanism is going to be the same, but it's going to be more of a full-blown worker placement and engine building game. Alexander Pfister describes it as having several maps, all of them telling a different story, um, designed by Clemens Franz in one of the original game. It's going to have less luck overall, uh, which makes sense going from a card game to a board game, and just generally more stuff going on. It's still in development. He's not done with it yet. They haven't really shown much of it yet, but I've liked all of Alexander Pfister's big box games, and I really, really like Oh My Goods and what it has become with those additional expansions. So shoving all that into a board game, I'm down whatever it ends up being. So hopefully he gets this one finished up and you know, relatively soon and we get a chance to give it a go because I am super interested. So that is Newdale. Wow, that's pretty impressive. I'm also a big fan. I remember playing this way back when and I would honestly just like to see a collector's box with all this stuff in one spot because I picked up an instant. This game has been like in and out of print and just kind of few and far between, but it's actually a really solid game for the size. Yeah, it's a shame that you can't find this stuff. I, I keep, I'm always telling people about it, you know, especially people who like smaller card games and stuff. And they're like, well, you can't actually get those. I'm like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. All right, Anthony, I got a game that I think that you might like. It's a new Kickstarter that is currently up. It's already backed. I think that it's $75,000 goal, and currently there are over $300,000. This is Millennial Blades Collusion, and this campaign will back on Sunday, March 3rd. So if you are interested, there is still some more time. This is the final expansion for Millennial Blades. It comes with a storage solution for all of the different main boxes and expansions, 400 new cards, six new characters, team mode, and more. I think typically, and we haven't talked about this in a while, there are some games out there that are clearly, you know, rise to the level of lifestyle games. Like if you play Warhammer and, you know, you're like, oh, I got all these miniatures and I paint them and I get people together and it just it just takes up my entire life. There are board games that do that too. And Millennial Blades Collusion is one of those games because there is so much tremendous stuff in this game. Now, if you haven't played Millennial Blades previously, it's basically a take-up of the CCG world. So you're basically a CCG player, and it has this very, I would say, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh! aesthetic to it, where you're going to your local game stores, and you're going to tournaments, and you're buying random packs, and you're able to kind of flip these cards over that are a pack card, and then... You're going to tournaments with your cards, trying to knock out other players. And then as you pick up more and more cards, you're building up a collection that's going to score you points. You're selling cards to the market. You're trading cards with other players. And you have your own unique character. What's really fantastic about this game, especially what Level 99 does so well, it always has a lot of flavor to this game. This game has so many different themes. It kind of lovingly parodies in some way. And it really touches upon a little bit of everything. In fact, with this newest expansion, they actually are using uh, games that we already play as, as board gamers and are offering those as additional crossover sets. So when you play Millennium Blades, you can add these mini expansions to the game and actually have some of your own board game characters in there. They have Gruff, they have Red Dragon Inn, they have Doom Tower, they have Dice Throne, they have Near and Far, they have Burgle Brothers, crazy. 
Uh, <laughs> they have Monolith Arena, Kill the Overlord, just so many of these different board games that we typically play out there. And to have them make appearance in this game is pretty fantastic. So this is a really involved game. You don't have to buy sets like you do in a normal CCG. You get to play out the experience of being a CCG player. There are numerous backer levels for this. So you might just be looking for the crossover sets if you already have the main game. You might be just looking for the base set, which is about 60 bucks. You might be looking for all the cards or everything that has been previously come out, and that's going to be about 220 And if for some reason you want to have your own theme in this game, they're willing to do that too at about $1,500. So this is definitely something to look out for if you like theme, if maybe you dipped your toes into CCG or you're all about CCGs, but you're more of a board gamer. That is Millennial Blade's Collusion, as I mentioned, it backs on Sunday, March 3rd. I'm, I, this is a tough one because I have not played Millennium Blades a ton, but the one thing that caught my attention in this is not even all the extra cards and whatever, because again, I haven't played very much of this game, is the tray uh-huh. for the box yeah. to store everything. Because the original game has no storage solution. In fact, it comes with this big piece of plastic that's just in the way. All the cards got mixed together at some point. It's a mess. It's going to take me weeks to oh my organize gosh. it. I I want the tray. Just give me the tray for ten dollars. <laughs> I'll take an empty box. It's fine. Sure. It's oh man. It's it's a good game though. I I, I am definitely keeping my eye on this because it's a it's a lot of content too. For if you're just getting the upgrades, I think it's like sixty bucks, which is very reasonable for like four or five hundred cards. Yeah, level nine nine games is probably the best company as far as you know amount of content is concerned. Any of the games that you've ever played, Ape Tactics or Archon of the Consortium, like you get just tons of stuff. And like, I know, like I had this conversation with friends previously. It's like when you got into board gaming, you were like, I want replay value. I want a thousand cards. I want them double sided with something on the other side. And then you play the games. You're like, I just want what's really, really, you know, tight and good. But there's something about having all of this extra stuff, as you mentioned, in a nicely arranged box that just kind of gets the acquisition disorder going all right anthony so those are the games that we want to hit our table let's actually talk about the games that did hit our table what's your at the table for this week all right so i'm going to talk about gugong which i've been discussing with my uh game group whether i'm pronouncing that correctly and i don't know so if i'm not let me know this was a kickstarter game from game brewer and tasty minstrel that just shipped uh probably a couple months ago, designed by Andreas Stedding. And in the game, it takes place in the Forbidden City in China, and it used to be called the Forbidden City. There's actually another game called Forbidden City, which is why it's now called Gugong, because they had to change the name um, right before the Kickstarter launched. But the game itself is essentially a worker placement game. And I say essentially because it's a little bit different. Uh, The way it works is there are probably, uh, I don't know, about eight different spots on the board where you can place workers, but they're not workers, they're cards. And so what you're doing thematically here is you're exchanging gifts. You're going to the Forbidden City as an official who lives outside of it, and you're exchanging gifts with the other officials to gain favor. And so when you do that, you have a hand of cards, you start with four, and throughout the game, you'll always have four unless you upgrade and get one of two additional cards that you can theoretically get in the game, so a maximum of six. 
and you they all have numbers on them and some of them have extra actions and you trade them in for the cards that are on the board which also have numbers on them your card has to be a higher number than those to do this for free if it's not you have to pay two workers and so you have this pool of workers or assistants as they're called on your personal board and there's 12 in the game you'll start with six you get some back every round but if you spend them too frivolously you can't actually do very much because almost all these actions require some number of workers so you have to manage them and so you want to try to do this where you're you're putting down higher cards every time because otherwise you're wasting workers that you could use to do that action right and so you're going there and you're taking these actions and they're never blocked because anybody else can go there with a higher card unless, for example, you throw down an eight or a nine, which each of those cards can only be beaten by one other card, making it very difficult for somebody to go there. So there's a lot of tactical thinking here. Like you can't plan too far in advance because you don't know what the board state's really going to be when it gets back to you. I Playing this with five players, for example, the one time I did, I found it almost frustrating to the level at which, you know, of these seven different spaces where cards go, by the time it got back to me, four of them had changed. And so it was really difficult to be like, I'm going to go do this or this or this. Well, all three of those are different now. Okay. But it is still a lot of fun. Like the different things you get to do there. Types of things that you're uh, putting your cards out to do are very Euro gamey. I mean, thematically, they make sense. You're helping to build the wall. You're traveling the countryside and picking up these different things that you find. You're investing in these, I can't remember exactly what they're called, but in board game speak, they're basically technologies that let you get bonuses at the beginning of each round or end game points. There is a central space that you have to move your advisor up. If you don't get to the top of that track, and if you get there first, you get more points. But if you don't get there at all, you cannot win the game. So it's like one of those, you have to do this thing eventually over the four rounds, or you cannot win. So Everybody does it, obviously, but the person who gets there first gets more points. There's Jade you can collect, which is your typical one is worth one, two is worth three, three is worth five, et cetera, et cetera. There's also a river track you can move along, and this is where you can get bonuses and upgrades. You can get a double worker. You can get extra cards into your hand, so essentially more actions on your turn. There's a lot of different stuff, and all these different things kind of convert into each other. There's a clever mechanism that I think is cool. Some people don't like it, so I'll just mention some people don't like it where you roll these three dice and they you'll have those three numbers at the top of the board. At the end of the round, all the cards that you have taken back off of the board, the gifts that you've exchanged for, however many match those numbers are going to get you more workers in the next round. So you always have like a base income of four per round, plus however many of those matches you have, which I think is kind of cool. It makes you think about which cards you're exchanging for and how you're exchanging them. Other people just get really frustrated because <laughs> they don't think about that or they don't want to. Overall, though, I really, really enjoy this game. It's relatively quick, plays in about an hour, hour and a half, depending on how many players you have. Relatively easy to teach because like most worker placement-ish style board games, you just tell people what each thing does and what the basic mechanism is. There is a lot of iconography, but once you learn it, it's all printed on your player mat. And yeah, it just flows really smoothly. I don't think it's like a revolutionary take on any of these genres. I really do like this idea of like the card exchange mechanic, but it also does kind of limit you in some ways. So it's, you know, it's very, very tactical in, in a lot of situations, especially at higher player counts. So I really do enjoy it quite a bit. It's not quite a buy for me, especially because I do have the Kickstarter edition uh, that I backed. 
and it is a beautiful deluxe gorgeous presentation of the game with metal coins and like little meeple dudes as your assistants and all these just fantastic upgrades across the board uh came with sleeves for the cards and game trays and everything else the retail edition of the game is reasonably priced but has pretty standard retail components so it's you know it it's a above average solid midweight euro and well worth a play not the most mind-blowing thing i've played to date but a solid game that is hitting the table repeatedly so i'm glad i bought it i'm glad i backed it wouldn't necessarily give it a buy rating but i'm very happy to have it and do like to play it so that is Gugong. yeah it seemed like a lot of different mechanics that came into play remember we talked about this as an acquisition disorder way back when it was a kickstarter how heavy would you say this game actually is it, it it seemed like there was some actions that were pretty obvious but as you mentioned the card play kind of allows you or disallows you to do certain things what do you think about that yeah i know it's it's a funny game because some people got some pretty heavy ap because theoretically you can do anything if you can pay for it right you could put a card down anywhere if you could pay the difference but you're trying to figure out okay where do i want to put it that i don't have to pay and then a next round that i'm able to do this and i make sure getting the right cards to match these numbers and chaining this together but even then it's not particularly heavy i think bgg has it like at a 3.2 which i think is a little high wow right around that that three mark sub three maybe a 2.8 2.9 but it's not heavy. It's not light. It's super solidly in the middle. Like, you know, any of those midweight worker placement games you play, like Champions of Midgard or Raiders of the North Sea or Architects of the West King. Like, it's that level of game, which is perfect. Sure. It's easy to teach. New players come in. Anybody can play it. But it's not it's not blowing me away either in terms of its complexity. Yeah, I think you mentioned the outstanding production of that game. And that was one thing that made me want to jump into this game but it just seemed a little too light and a little too simplistic. And then the card play, it was kind of hard to tell from the Kickstarter if that was going to get make the game, you know, complex and interesting and engaging and strategic or just kind of tactical. So I guess it's good to know that it's definitely on the lighter side as far as that's concerned. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely not like up there with a game, like one of Fister's games where the when you play the cards and how you play them, where they're programmed is so important. In this one, it's sure. it's my turn. I have three cards left in my hand. I have to pick one. Where do I want to put it? You know, that's 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 your decision. And as the each round goes on, you have fewer decisions because I have one card left. Can I play it? No. Okay, I'm done, <laughs> you know, uh, which frequently happens at the end of rounds because people are left with ones and twos in their hands. But it's because it's so short, it's still enjoyable. Like if you're looking for a nice midweight game that's very pretty to look at, this is you could do worse than uh, Google. All right. So for me this week is, I guess, along the same lines as Anthony said earlier, I'm talking about Scorpius Freighter. Now, this is another light to medium weight Euro game. Now, when you take a look at the game itself, and this game was designed by Matthew Dustin and David Short and from AEG Games. It seems like a total Amerithrash sci-fi theme, wacky, crazy aliens and spaceships kind of flying around, fighting each other. And when you actually get down to the game, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, basically, you are a freighter captain amongst all these other freighter captains that are dealing in the Scorpius system. And the government is taking control over everything, so you have to kind of sneak around a little bit. So think maybe a little bit like Fireflies, you know, as far as like 
you're doing some deals. Some deals are good. Some deals are a little sketchy, but it's not at the weight of Firefly the board game at all. This is definitely a lighter, more Eurocentric type of game. So basically in the game, you're going to do, be doing three main things. You're going to be recruiting crew. At the start of the game, you will have your choice of crews. And they have this really interesting art that kind of represents all these different aliens that have come together to make up your crew. You'll get four cards or there's a variant where you can kind of draft the characters. But basically, you're getting four cards. And these cards are a very essential for the game because they're going to be your action point allocation. So when you want to take an action, and I'll talk about actions in a second, you'll be pushing cards up or taking a look at the card itself and see how many hands the card might have to indicate how powerful that action will be. Now, beyond recruiting the crew, you'll also be able to customize the ships. So basically the game board itself and all of the game components are fantastic. The boards have a double lay inset. So when you place a tile, it fits properly and just drops down ever so slightly. So it feels like you are kind of like dropping supplies or dropping new modules into the ship. And as I mentioned earlier, the crew kind of like sneak up and kind of like fall into place. And then you're going to be smuggling goods. So at this point, <laughs> it's going to be all about cubes. And you're going to be picking these cubes up and putting them in your storage containers, basically stuff that you picked up throughout the game. And you are going to be able to take that storage stuff, whether it's illegal or such. It doesn't really play a big role thematically, but nonetheless, it's cubes. And you are going to be taking side deals which are these little tiles that are going to require two types of cubes. And then there's these contracts that are going to have three different selection areas that are going to require three different types of cubes. And when you fulfill the contracts, it flips over and it's going to give you a special ability throughout the game. So contracts are very important. But basically the game itself comes down to maneuvering your cards on the bottom of your board. So you have four cards. You can move on these three different rondelles that are depicted by these three planets and different locations on these planets. And on these rondelles are going to be these three plastic motherships. And when you place one card tucked up in your board, you'll move your ship one and you'll take that appropriate action. If you move two cards up, you move two spots and that's basically the max movement you can do. Then you take a look at how many hands you have on the other crew and you take the strength of that action. So as I mentioned, you're getting cubes, you're getting side contracts, you're getting main contracts, and then you're getting special abilities and things to add to your ship itself. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. You'll also have the opportunity to upgrade your crew. So they start off just like as a basic crew member, but if you pay their cost, they flip over, and now they have a special ability that will help you throughout the game. Scorpius Freighter is a really interesting game because it has an aesthetic that doesn't really fit its gameplay. Don't get me wrong, I am a super big sci-fi fan, but bringing this to the table again and again, people were, weren't sure what we were looking at here, and when you get down to the gameplay, it's pretty quick because the game comes to an end when one of the motherships collects enough cubes as it goes around one of the particular planets. So if you were playing with three players, five cubes in, the game comes to an end. So it's actually pretty quick. I like this game. I'm just not in love with this game because I think it oddly falls into a spot where it's too light or and too quick playing that it really never gets rolling. 
it doesn't really get into like multiple compartments and special abilities triggering with the crew and like you really have all those things that you could do but because the ships are the timer in the game there isn't like 10 or 12 rounds the game is just going to end at a particular point and sometimes people will want the same action so the ships actually move rather quickly and at the same time because you're putting tiles in a particular way and because you're trading cubes for contracts if you're playing with somebody who doesn't play euro games and doesn't understand resource management they're going to have a very hard time with the game so for scorpius freighter it gets a a very very light play for me it's something i would definitely play again but it's something i couldn't see ever picking up myself yeah i mean i remember when i first saw it because it's a it's a normal big ticket to ride box 60 bucks and you're like oh that looks interesting right because it's it seems like it should be heavier than it is but then you see the play time it's 45 minutes you see the weight it's 2.3 i hear your review and i'm like "Ah, i'm so tired of them packing these really light small games into big boxes and all these components and making you think it's bigger than it is because it looks interesting i really feel like somebody missed the mark with this or there was more to this game and just someone took an axe to it because there just really isn't enough game for this price point or for the level of production here is so well done that you're like, there should be more to this game and there just isn't. And because players are controlling the motherships, this game ended up more times than not less than 45 minutes. And people were like, well, I completed three side contracts and one main contract. So, okay. You know, I, I was like, yeah, that's kind of sad. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a reverse there's a reverse side to the board that makes it a little more complex, but it just makes it harder and not more fun or more strategic. I just wanted to see this game either be a lot quicker or a lot longer because it had some additional things to do. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's hitting our table. Let's get on to the feature review. All right, so for our feature review this week, we are doing what has become a yearly tradition at Board Gamers Anonymous. We are doing our best female characterizations in gaming for the year 2019. So this is the third year out of our five-year run that we wanted to take a look at the best games over the past year and pick out the games and let you know which games have the best female characterization. Now, this is very important because obviously we like to identify with these strong, powerful, interesting, dynamic characters in board gaming. And unfortunately, there aren't a lot of great female characterizations. Now, the board gaming industry has gotten a lot better, but if you want to have an opportunity to play different roles and obviously show proper representation so maybe you could attract more women to board gaming, which we always would love to do, these games might be fantastic for you, right, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important, you know, and it's, you, you want a diversity and interesting ideas in the game, not just the same characters over and over and over and over again. It just gets very samey and you're not really having, there's not much to talk about, right? It's just the same stuff. So I think it's it's important to have this conversation every year and to point out the ones that are doing it well and why they're doing it well. And, you know, at the same time can have kind of the conversation of, I wish that, these other things would also do this the same way. Absolutely. And if you'd like to jump back and listen to our last two years, the first one was episode 85 on BGA. And then the next one after that, year two, 
was episode 156 because each year we like to have different games. So we want to highlight the games that are doing something new. So if you don't hear the games that you think do a tremendous job of offering great female representation in board gaming, great characters, check back on those episodes. You probably are going to find it there. And if it's something we haven't mentioned, please hit us up and let us know. We'd love to get those games to the table. All right, Anthony, we're going to go for some. All right, Anthony, so why don't you start us off? All right, so the first one I wanted to talk about is not the heaviest game, nor is it the most thematically, I mean, it's hugely thematic, but the characterization doesn't particularly matter, and that's kind of my point. So it's Fireball Island, and this new edition from Restoration Games was on Kickstarter last year, and the game comes with all this crazy stuff. Big 3D island, you got the the little helicopter that you build you've got all these extra pieces and the plastic trees and you have four characters two of which are women neither of which is overly sexualized or half naked they're just dressed like explorers just like the men as they should be and that seems like a very simple thing to ask but in the past it was not so much it's just it's nice to be able to put this in front of my kids my daughter especially and it's not a thing not i don't you know i don't know if they notice these things or not but they internalize it and I don't have to worry about it. And I just want to give a special shout out to any game that's designed for families or children that takes this into account. You know, I think I talked about ghost fighting treasure hunters in the past and how they have female characters there. And it's just a girl instead of a boy. So that there are options for the kids to choose from. And I think that's important, as is the case here. Our another game with fantastic plastic in it is Time of Legends Joan of Arc. Now, this is a much heavier game that's taken an alternate history of the story of Joan of Arc. Now, as you probably know, Joan of Arc was a peasant girl living in medieval France, and she believed that God had chosen her to support France and fight back the English armies that were invading. So with no military training, Joan convinced the crown prince and with a French army, she besieged the city of Orleans and was able to achieve a momentous victory. Now, this game is not a true history, so to speak. This is a game by Mythic Games, and it has, obviously you can imagine, a lot of mythology added to the game. Now, there's a lot of dice rolling, area movement, control game in, this, in, in the box. This was actually a recent Kickstarter. You may remember it for its fantastic miniatures, including an outstanding, huge, outrageous dragon that came along with the box. So if you're looking for a game that shows strong female representation, leading powerful armies into battle against just tremendous dragons, then you definitely want to take a look at Time of Legends, Joan of Arc. All right. So the next one for me has been one of my favorite games for the last six months or so. I've been playing it every Friday at my local game store, and that is Keyforge. Now, Keyforge is, for all intents and purposes, uh, similar to a collectible card game. There's a giant set of cards. Each of them has unique artwork. They match up with different factions. But what's really cool about Keyforge is that when you start to look through those 360-some-odd cards, there really aren't any sexualized images of the women on those cards. It's just people doing their thing. They're in power poses. They're, you know... Subjects, not objects, which I think is an important distinction that you don't always, well, you almost never see in these kinds of card games. Now, Fantasy Flight does a fairly good job of this. Uh, it was on a, a Reddit thread recently where 
I was pulling some of the names from some of these cards and people were pointing out that L5R does a decent job of this. Netrunner did a decent job of this towards the end. But some of the other big games out there, like Hearthstone, for example, the digital CCG did not do a great job of this until recently they've been getting a little bit better. Whereas in Keyforge, you'd be hard pressed to find any card that would be along those lines. You have, you know, just thieves stealing stuff, scientists building stuff, barbarians blowing stuff up. But they're not, you know, half naked or imposing for, you know, the quote unquote artist. It's just cards and they represent those characters, which is really cool. So it's not something that you feel weird or awkward playing in public uh, unless you're Chris and don't like the game. And then um, it's, uh, you know, you'd be, I'm perfectly happy showing it to people, playing it in front of my kids, having my kids play with me. It's not, you know, you don't feel icky about it like you would with some other games in this genre. So. That is Keyforge. All right, so next up is Obsession by Dan Halligan. This game is all about early 19th century families in a Pride and Prejudice Victorian England, and they're all jockeying for reputation in order to be the best of all families. Now, unlike most games that really are all about the male lead of the family, this game really incorporates both men and women in the game. In fact, you'll need you'll need gentlemen and lady cards throughout the game in order to activate special abilities. Each of the card has some wonderful flavor text that depicts how strong these female characters are in the game. And by utilizing them to the best of the ability, you can move up the social ladder and really build a story tradition for your family. That is Obsession. All right. And so the last one for me is Maiden's Quest. This is a uh, one to two player card game from WizKids uh, designed by Kenneth Shannon. And in it, quote, this is from the, the publisher's description. You are a maiden tired of waiting to be rescued. Take it upon yourself to fight your enemies and escape. So the game is you create a deck based on the challenge you want to face and you hold it in one hand and you basically roll through that deck of cards and try to defeat various enemies based on the maiden that you have and how powerful she is, is and what is she able to accomplish. Um, you're always going to have a hand of cards and it's going to allow you to do certain things and hopefully power yourself up as you cycle through that deck. Game takes about 15, 20, 30 minutes at the most and it's relatively straightforward. Each of the cards has, you know, you can flip them over, you can turn them over. Um, so there's lots of information on each side of the card and you can turn it up and down. It's definitely a true solo game that can be played two players, but it's definitely a solo game. So if, if you're not into solo stuff, if you're not over on the every night is game night side of things, this may even not be the perfect game for you, but the characters here are fantastic. You have the maidens are, you know, finding armor in the hallway, carrying axes, uh, laying waste to vampires and all sorts of other stuff that the, the bad guys throw at you. And um, it's just a lot of fun to see kind of those tropes flipped on their head a little bit in a relatively fun, quick, light card game. All right. And finally, for me, I have Scythe, The Rise of Fenris. Now, I can't say too much about the strong lead female character in this game, but I can say there is a strong lead female character in the game. And I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. You basically see that on the cover in the box. And if you do own the game itself, you know it comes with two factions. One of the factions is led by this woman. And she is appropriately dressed, kicks all kinds of ass throughout the game. And for me, it's my favorite faction for a number of different reasons. 
and especially for the fact that everything in Scythe is all about these strong countries and most parts, whether it's Scythe or even its expansion, Invaders from Afar, and now its new expansion, The Rise of Fenris, there's really a great equity as far as male versus female characters in this game. They're never always sexualized. They're never demeaned. They are powerful female leaders in the game. And it's just a tremendous game to get to the table. And everyone has a fantastic time with it. If you haven't played Scythe before, you should definitely check it out. Rise of Fenris brings it up to the next level and has some fantastic female representation. All right, so there you go. Six great games that really utilize the power, the presence, the intelligence, and intrigue that female characterizations bring into games. All right, that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.